I've just been talking to someone about Chinese New Year. It's about a month away on February the 12th, I think. But already we were thinking about it. It's such a big deal. Um, we were talking about what we're going to be doing. All of us are going to be stuck away from home. And probably watching a lot of Chinese New Year TV shows, he was just asking me where to get them. Uh, I, I meant actually Chinese New Year adverts. I've been seeing a lot of them already. Uh, very funny ones. Uh, the ones I've been watching are all from Malaysia. They're from guys like Ginny Boy and Auntie Xiao. Very, very funny. Uh, maybe I'll review them one of these days. But yeah, um, it's that weekend feeling after the long week. Uh, I'm so looking forward to um, just resting, sleeping, and doing this earlier tomorrow. Uh, but also I'm leading worship at the Chinese church this coming Sunday. So I'll do maybe um, maybe a, a video on that, how I'm preparing for that. Uh, but yeah, thank you for joining me today. This is live here from Cambridge. We are looking at four passages today, Genesis 16, Matthew 15, Nehemiah 5, and Acts 15. Uh, why don't I begin by praying? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for all the things we look forward to things that give us joy, that give us hope, that help us remember that we are blessed in this life. And thank you, Father, that you are that beacon of hope through the Lord Jesus Christ, that he will return. He is that light at the end of this very dark tunnel for many of us. And help us to look forward, not back, to look forward to his coming. And, and whenever we are discouraged, um, yes, actually to look back, to look back to the cross, to see there are sins uh, done for and paid for, but also to propel us forward that you are in control of history, of our lives, of this world. Help us to see this in your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. So our first passage is Genesis chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bore him no children. She had a servant, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. Sarai said to Abram, See now, Yahweh has restrained me from bearing. Please go into my servant. It may be that I will obtain children by her. Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan and gave her to Abram, her husband, to be his wife. He went into Hagar and she conceived. When she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. Sarai said to Abram, This wrong is your fault. I gave my servant into your bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, she despised me. May Yahweh judge between me and you. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your maid is in your hand. Do to her whatever is good in your eyes. Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her face. Yahweh's angel found her by a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain on the way to Shur. He said, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where did you come from? Where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the face of my mistress, Sarai. Yahweh's angel said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hands. Yahweh's angel said to her, I will greatly multiply your offspring, that they will not be counted for multitude. Yahweh's angel said to her, Behold, you are with child and will bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because Yahweh has heard your affliction. He will be like a wild donkey among men. His hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him. He will live opposed to all his brothers. She called the name of Yahweh who spoke to her, You are a God who sees. For she said, Have I ever stayed alive after seeing him? Therefore the well was called Ber Lahai Roy. Behold, it is between Kadesh and Bered. Hagar bore a son for Abram. Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Oh, wow. The problem of having more than one wife. <laughs> but it's actually his wife Sarah's idea that he take on her servant, her maidservant, as his wife, 
so that he can have children. Verse 2, that I will obtain children by her. And you see, here is this ingenuity at work. You know, God had promised that he would give Abram a son and indeed many children. But they thought maybe we'll help God along. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm too old. Sarah thought, you're definitely very old. You know, Abram was 86 when Ishmael was born. So why don't we help God along by getting someone younger, getting this maidservant to be a mother to a child or many children? But what happens in the end? Um, when the argument, you know, it's funny. It, it really is funny uh, when uh, Sarai says, this is your fault, verse 5. I gave my servant in your bosom, and when she saw I couldn't conceive, now she despises me. And, you know, may God judge between me and you. And so she feels right in her anger, even though it was her idea. And even Abram is kind of dodgy in the way that he, you know, the way that he answers her is that do with her whatever you want. You know, everyone is kind of like wiping their hands clean of this mess that really their ingenuity is brought about. They thought they could fix the problem that, you know, God had created by, you know, promising this great thing to these two old uh, men and women. But in the end, they just made the problems worse. It's, you know, uh, of course, you know, the, the Bible doesn't say anything about this. It's very, very silent. But I think it leaves us to kind of see how a lot of problems, you know, you think of big problems in the world, actually start from personal problems with one another. You know, uh, problems in the family. You know, some of uh, us come from backgrounds. Uh, I know, um, at least in China, you know, having multiple wives, having problems within the family, having children, you know, um, in competition with one another. Those kind of very messy family problems are the ones that are the ones we, that keep us up at night, the ones that um, that you think, uh, well, you compare that to, say, COVID, you compare that to, say, war. But actually, at the heart of it is interpersonal. It's us dealing with one another in such a way that we almost don't deal with the real problem. They don't trust God. That's the real problem. They don't trust God to deliver on His promises. So they trust themselves to come up with this solution, but it just makes things worse. And when things get worse, their relationship with God breaks, their relationship with one another fractures. And what fixes the problem is God's grace. You know, God doesn't say, you guys made this problem, you clean it up. No, God sends his angel and he tells um, Hagar, the servant who is running away from his mistress, who's mistreating her. You know, you think that, you know, she has every right to do this. She says, go back to her, but I will bless your son. And she goes back because she sees that God sees her distress. And, you know, um, he literally says that you are a God who sees. And there's something quite amazing about that, that God who sees everything that's happening, even though they think that God isn't around. God isn't, is, is, just, is just absent from this problem. God actually sees our distress and God intentionally sends his messenger, his angel to this woman, this servant, and says, uh, this son, is going. you're going to give him a name Ishmael, meaning God hears, because God has heard your affliction. That's what Ishmael means, God hears. And he will be a very independent person. He'll be like a wild donkey. You know, he won't listen to anyone. He'll be his own person. And he'll be even against his own brothers. And on the one hand, it sounds as if, you know, he's going to be blessed. But he's also going to be blessed with this independence that causes more friction with his own brothers. And indeed, the Ishmaelites become enemies of um, Jacob's descendants, of Israel's descendants. Yeah. Of, sorry, in this case, Isaac. We, we don't have uh, Israel yet. Um, yeah, so uh, what we have here is God's grace, God's providence, just God seeing the situation and just stepping into it. And as a result, she goes back. Um, she has the son. And Abram gives the name, uh, 
uh, obviously she told the story to Abram, and so Abram gave the name which the which the angel said to give the name to this son. You know, you shall call his name Ishmael, and Abram obeyed. So, um, yeah, I wonder what you think of this, that the Bible is giving us this insight into this family problems. In fact, you know, a lot of family problems happen within this chosen family, this chosen person. His, his family, in fact, family situation is quite a mess, if you think of it. And it shows that, um, you know, sin as the heart of it is attacks our relationships, you know, selfishness. Uh, but then also sin sometimes gets out of hand because we don't trust God. We think we know better than God and we try to fix it with our own ways as Abraham and Sarai tried to do here. Yeah, so that's Genesis chapter 16. I wonder if I should say more about this. I feel like that wasn't a very satisfactory overview. Mm, I don't know. Um, it's it is funny um, that uh, you know what what if what if it had worked? I mean, in in a kind of alternate universe, right? You know, Hagar gives birth to this son, and God says, "Oh wow, you're so smart! You came, you you were able to come up with this son," and everyone everyone just says, "Yay." Um, I I can think of situations where, you know, that's why people take more wives. That's why people maybe even take mistresses. They are unhappy with their family situation, or they think, you know, God, you didn't give me the happiness that you promised me, and so they try to justify that kind of sin, that kind of extramarital kind of relationship with that kind of act. And I think this is just a very honest commentary on those kind of decisions that never ever works that in the end you just end up blaming god blaming everyone and it's down to the fact that um we don't trust god to give us the happiness that he's given us within the context of mar our marriages and maybe even our own relationships yeah yeah um i, I was watching this live stream today uh, by a very godly person um, uh, in Malaysia, give, doing a live, doing um, story time telling live stream for kids, and it was about how children sometimes grow up in unhappy families, and in such situations they really need to seek help. And it was such a wise thing to do. You know, it was a storytelling se um, session for children as well as parents. And as I, you know, maybe you're in a situation whereby there is conflict within your family. And so she read this book uh, by this author who had grown up in a difficult family. And she said, you know, there is happiness at the end. But you do need, need to seek, seek help. You do need to, you know, not let that define you in the long term. That, you know, there needs to be grace. There needs to be healing. But uh, that's a sad reality. You know, lots of people grow up in families where, you know, relationships are broken and fractured. And, um... Um, sometimes our solutions to it don't actually help. And what you need is almost God to be able to almost see, just uh, just realizing that God sees the pain that we're in and for God to step into that pain and to offer some kind of reconciliatory solution. You know, some of us might not be happy with God telling Hagar to go back to that home. But uh, I think a lot of, when it comes to family, it comes to relationships, a lot of solutions have to do with reconciliation, forgiveness, you know, doing that thing that you, you know, oh, you really don't want to do. But for the sake of love, for the sake of forgiveness, um, as much as it is the right thing to do, I'm not saying that you should do this if it's in a situation that is abusive, that is wrong, you shouldn't. But as much as if it is in terms of, you know, seeking reconciliation and seeking restoration, I think um, that is the heart and the right thing to do. Yeah. Okay. And that's Genesis chapter 16. Oh, that's a very heavy, <laughs> a very heavy reflection on, on like a story, which is a real story, a real family, but still very, 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 very heavy, I thought. <laughs> uh, and it's supposed to be like the weekend, right? You're supposed to be, you know, looking forward to stuff that you do on the weekend, which is supposed to be like fun. Uh, we had a lab meeting today and my boss said tomorrow is supposed to be a sunny day and um, I guess that means you can open up your window and enjoy the sun from the inside because we're in lockdown. Um, but still, that'll be something. Yeah. 
<laughs> Matthew chapter 15. Then Pharisees and scribes uh, came to Jesus from Jerusalem, saying, Why do your disciples disobey the tradition of the elders? For they don't wash their hands when they eat bread. He answered them, Why do you also disobey the commandment of God? Because of your tradition. For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother. And he who speaks evil of father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever may tell his father or his mother whatever help you may otherwise have gotten from me as a gift devoted to God, he shall not honor his mother or father. You have made the commandment of God void because of your tradition. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine rules made by men and uh I, I like how jesus is sticking up for his disciples you know here are these religious leaders kind of like nitpicking with his disciples they haven't washed their hands before eating a bread and what they mean here washing here is not hygiene <laughs> it's not oh you know 20 seconds singing happy birthday but they are talking about ceremonial washing and therefore ceremonial uncleanness because they might be contaminated um, because that's why I say uh, disobey the tradition of the elders. It's not just washing for hygiene, but that there's this tradition you have to do a certain thing, certain kind of washing before you do things like eat bread. And Jesus says, you know, it's because of your tradition, because of your tradition that you elevate it above God's law and therefore you break God's law. Worth thinking about. Because of your tradition, you nullify and you break God's law. Um, it's almost like saying because of your church tradition that you don't obey God, because of your religious convictions, you disobey God. That's a very unusual thing to say, right? You think it because you don't believe God, therefore you will break God's law. But no, it's precisely because you follow these traditions that have nothing to do with what God wants you to do. So, and Jesus gives us an example. You know, it's very clear. You know, honor your father and your mother. But, uh, and he says, you know, if you speak against your father and mother, you're going to get killed. <laughs> very serious. So it's, it's a big deal, you know, that the Bible says you're meant to honor and you're meant to respect and you're meant to acknowledge your mom and dad. You know, God wants you to do that. But they come up with this clause that says that, you know, I'm supposed to give you, say, this money, but I decided to give it to God. You know, this gift devoted to God. And therefore, that gets me out of honoring you with this gift, whether it's this money or even this respect or maybe even this time that I'm meant to be spending with you. And it's using God as a reason to get out of doing what God wants you to do, <laughs> i.e. honor your father and mother. And said, that's such a wicked thing. And it takes a somewhat, you need to almost be familiar enough with the rules in order to know how to break the rules. And that's what these Pharisees are doing. They are condemning others for breaking rules that have nothing to do with God's word. But at the same time, they themselves are using God's word to break the rules that are in God's word. So he calls them hypocrites. Well, that Isaiah prophesied of you, you draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me and in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine rules made by men. And again, that phrase, you know, these are not God's rules. These are just man-made rules. But more than that, also they honor me with their lips. You know, imagine on Sunday, lots of people, you know, we begin with songs, right? In fact, I'm preparing to lead worship at the Chinese church this coming Sunday. And well, that means singing songs. So you honor God with your lips, but it's possible to sing Jesus, I love you, I honor you, I worship you, but in your hearts, you are so far away. <laughs> yeah. Your mouth is saying the words, your heart is thinking about something else. Verse 10, he summoned the multitude and said to them, Hear and understand, that which enters the mouth doesn't defile the man, but that which proceeds out of the mouth, that defiles the man. And so Jesus is going back to the, the thing about eating bread, about some, that somehow the bread can contaminate them. Something that they eat can be considered unclean. 
And Jesus said, food is just food. Essentially that. He said, if it enters your mouth, you know, it, it doesn't, food, um, it just passes through you. <laughs> Essentially, it doesn't defile the man. But, uh, but what, it's what that comes out of you that defiles the man. So it's talking about not what goes into you, but what comes out of you. Uh, not your input, food, you know, even durians, that will not defile you. But what comes out of you? And he'll give, he'll give an, uh, I'll, I just, I'm going to stop here and say, you know, what is it that we produce? And what are we, what uh, thoughts, you know, what comes out of a man, you know, um, ingenuity. We saw that in Abram, the story of Abram. You know, we come up with all kinds of solutions. We come up with art. We come up with, you know, um, ideas. Uh, we come up with lots of, you know, initiatives. You know, we invented like all these vaccines and stuff. Really amazing stuff. But Jesus is saying it's actually the stuff that comes out of us that we produce that actually causes us to be unclean. Verse 12, Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard the saying? But he answered, Every plant which my heavenly Father didn't plant will be uprooted. Leave them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. If the blind guide the blind, both will fall into a pit. Peter answered him, Explain the parable to us. So Jesus said, Do you still also, do you still not understand? It's, uh, I really feel for Peter. Peter says, can you please tell us the answer? And Jesus says, huh, really? You don't know the answer? <laughs> uh, makes me scared to ask teachers like that for the answer. Is it? Okay, all right, next time I won't ask. But no, Jesus is saying it should be obvious to you. Verse 17, don't you understand that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the belly, then out of the body? But the thing which proceed out of the mouth come out of the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adultery, sexual sins, thefts, false testimony, and blasphemies. These are the things which defile the man. But to eat with unwashed hands doesn't defile the man. You know, food is just something that just passes, goes in your belly and goes out. Your body's like a pipe. On the one end is, the, is, is your mouth, the other end is... Uh, well, the other end of your body, it just comes out. By the way, I was watching this video about um, dog butt buns. Buns which are shaped like a dog's butt. In fact, corgi butts. And you fill the butt with chocolate so that when you squeeze the butt, chocolate comes out of the butt part. <laughs> it was so gross. It's quite funny. Somebody actually invented that. You squeeze it, ooh, and then, and then, and then the butt oozes out this stuff. And Jesus is saying, that's just stuff that you ate. You know, everything you eat comes out. You know, it doesn't defy you, follow you in that sense. But it's actually, it's actually the stuff that comes out of your heart that defiles you. And out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adultery, sexual sin, thefts. Fall. Out of the heart doesn't come love. It doesn't come, it doesn't come amazing. Out of the heart comes murder, evil, 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 you know, things that defile you. It's saying that our heart can only produce bad things. These are the things that defile the man. But eating, you know, that, that doesn't defile the man. I was uh, cycling down um, Regent Street one day and, uh, and suddenly there was this policeman that stopped me uh, right by the crossing near Pizza Hut on, um, on, on Parker's Piece. You know where, where that is? next to um, the, the church, the Korean church. So stop there. And then all these cyclists started coming out of Parker's Peace. There were like maybe a hundred of them. But the thing about all these cyclists was they were all naked. It was naked cycling day. It, this happens like once, one day every summer. Obviously it didn't happen this last year, but it was that, yeah, I was cycling back from work and then I stopped there. And then all I saw were these cyclists with their helmets and then butts. And then butts, 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 the whole, the whole stream of butts that's coming out of the street. And that's what Jesus is saying. All he sees coming out of our hearts is butts, 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 butts. It's just evil, 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 nonstop. And 
you know, I wonder if we see that. I mean, oh, my heart, you know, we aren't able to produce anything that's good. That's what God is saying. You know, our, we are just perpetually producing hatred and enmity, ways to, you know, do wrong towards one another. And that's a very tragic um, kind of assessment of our human condition. It's that, that we are evil. Yeah. Verse 21. Jesus went out from there and withdrew into the region of Tyre and Sidon. Behold, a Canaanite woman came out from those borders and cried, saying, Have mercy on me, Lord, you son of David. My daughter is severely possessed by a demon. But he answered her not a word. His disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries after, after us. They're kind of irritated. You know, but he answered, I wasn't sent to anyone but the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered, It is not appropriate to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Be it done to you, even as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that hour. Uh, by the way, Tyre and Sidon, this is outside of Jerusalem. And this woman is a Canaanite woman, meaning she was not Jewish. She, in our, in our lingo, she's not Christian. She's never been to church. She's never heard a sermon. She, you know, she's not a Christian. She doesn't even look like, like a Christian. But she counts Jesus, please help me, calls him Lord, even calls him son of David. Very, very interesting because that's a very peculiarly Jewish term for God's chosen king. David was God's king, and so a descendant of David, a son of David, would be God's chosen king. And he recognizes him as God's chosen king. And he says, you need to help me to heal my daughter who is healed, who is possessed by this demon. And Jesus doesn't help her. You know, he doesn't answer her. The disciples say, you know, she is so irritating. Please do something. And he says, you know, I wasn't sent to anyone except the Israelites, the lost sheep of Israel. So it means I have a priority. I'm only going to talk to people who are from Israel you know, first. But she keeps, you know, she, she keeps hounding, help me, help me, help me. And she, he says this very inappropriate thing to this foreign woman, to this international says, it's not right for me to take children that's for bread and give it to dogs, meaning you are a dog. And, and that's, that was one of the ways in which Jewish people used to see non-Jewish people. You know, it's, one of, it's almost very racist, right? You know, you're not, not even human. You're an animal. You're a dog. You're an outsider. That means in a family, you know, the, the children are at home. The, the dogs, I mean, they, they stay outside. You know, the home is for the family, for humans. And she answers in a very tremendously humbling way. She says, yes, Lord. She says, yes, I know that. I know I don't deserve this. I know that I'm not part of the family. I know I'm not a part of this chosen people, whatever it is. But it says, even the dogs can eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. You know, my floor is so unclean, so dirty <laughs> that, you know, I, I, you saw me, right? I sometimes eat my dinner here. And the other day I was eating kimchi with rice here. I'm sure that there are traces of kimchi on the carpet. And it's almost like saying, yes, you know, I don't deserve to have the kimchi that's on the table. But maybe if the kimchi falls off the table onto the floor, maybe I can have that. That thing which you don't even want. I'll have that, the crumbs which fall off the master's table. And you can see that Jesus is almost testing her because he says, great is your faith. You know, be it done to you as you desire. And immediately, just like that, her daughter is healed. He didn't have to follow her. He didn't have to do anything. Immediately, auto remote control. It's, it's quite an amazing miracle. In fact, you, don't re you might not realize this, but this is probably one of the most amazing miracles Jesus has done in the whole gospel, aside from dying on the cross, because everything else, he has to touch the person's eyes, he has to say something. No, done, that's it. And he does it for this foreign woman who kind of like passes the test, you know, who realizes that actually I don't deserve anything from Jesus. <laughs> and you know, that's actually how we should see ourselves before God. Graces from God is not something that we can say, you owe this to me. We can't. In fact, um, a guy named Cranber, who was here from, Cam who's from Cambridge, actually, uh, he became 
the Archbishop of Canterbury eventually, and he actually wrote a prayer for communion, we, uh, which actually has a line which says, we don't even deserve to take the crumbs from underneath the table. So he actually puts himself even lower than this woman because she says, oh, I, I can give me at least the crumbs. And we're saying, even we as Christians don't deserve those crumbs. And it's realizing that what God gives us is this gift that we do not deserve. We, 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 we have abandoned God. We are outside of the family. But actually God does call us in and God does put us at the table and gives us that feast. And the people whom he calls are people like these who realize that you know God calls them out by his grace, not by privilege. And it's quite amazing. Yeah. Uh, okay, so verse 29, Jesus departed from there and came near to the Sea of Galilee, and he went up into the mountain and sat there. Great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, the blind, the mute, the maimed, and many others, and they put them down at his feet. He healed them, so that the multitude wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the injured healed, the lame walking, the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Jesus summoned his disciples and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they've continued with me now three days and have nothing to eat. I don't want to send them away fasting or they may faint on the way. The disciples said to him, where could we get so many loaves in a deserted place as to satisfy so many, so great a multitude? Jesus said to, to them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven and a few small fish. He commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. And he gave the seven loaves and the fish. He gave thanks and broke them and gave to the disciples and disciples to the, to the multitude. They all ate and were filled. They took up seven baskets of the broken pieces that were left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men in addition to the women and children. Then he sent away the multitudes, got into the boat and came into the borders of Magdala. So why do we have this feeding of the 4,000? When, you know, in the previous chapters, we actually already saw the, the feeding. I don't know whether it's, it's 14 or 13. I think it might have been, it might have been, um, yep. So just the previous chapter, he already fed the multitudes 5,000. And so why do we then he have here another feeding so similar, you know, 1,000 less people, still a lot of people. And it's because of this woman. You know, what does he feed them? He feeds them bread. How they eat it until they're full. And there are so many of them, and they praise the God of Israel. Notice, he healed them and he fed them. He gave them everything. But that kind of juxtaposition, these two like loaves of bread, in between is this filling of crumbs. And what you get then is actually, who does Jesus come to heal? And what is it that Jesus has come to feed us with? And we think it's this bread given to the children, who are all privileged, who all deserve this. No, it's actually to this woman who doesn't deserve this, who gets crumbs, but actually receives the greatest miracle of her daughter, you know, being healed from this demon possession. And I think that's one of the reasons why, you know, you have these two accounts sandwiching this central account of this woman receiving this healing, receiving this grace, and understanding that it is by grace alone that she receives this gift from God. Yep, so that's Matthew chapter 15. Hello to anyone watching this. Uh, oh, okay, hello, hi. <laughs> Thank you for watching. Uh, oh, okay, oh, yeah. <laughs> hello, uh, uh, Sharon, hello, Sharon. Hello, Nick and Cara Grant. Thank you, Thank you for watching. <laughs> hope you're having a good Friday. Hope you have a good weekend up ahead. I uh, hope it's restful, you know, hope you, you know, and looking forward to Sunday. Looking forward to Sunday, all right? Yeah. Uh, oh, by the way, tonight, I, I did want to show this. Tonight at 8 o'clock, Friends International is having a live stream. So they're doing this special talk. I think just giving thanks for all that God has done in the past year through this organization that reaches international. It's called Friends International. So I think they have Chris Wright giving a talk at 8. So I'll be watching that. Um, oh, giving thanks for 35 years of ministry. Uh, I am really a big fan, really a big fan of Friends International. Uh, they do so much um, to reach the fringes of internationals, uh, especially students. You know, they it's very ground level work. They just befriend people. They help them in any and every way possible from the beginning when they first arrive in a country. 
um, help them settle in, help them, you know, just make friends, you know, where do they, you know, buy food, uh, just even in, they have English classes and stuff like that. And all of it is done by volunteers, by Christians who really give of their time. And they choose such loving, um, such really gracious Christians to do this work. And we're really a big fan of them. And, you know, if you never heard of them, this might be a great way to just, you know, see what they do. And, um, and I have put a link on my uh, Facebook page. But if you just search French International, you will find this link. Yeah, so that's happening at 8 o'clock, which is, yeah, an hour and a half away. Yeah. Uh, third reading for today, Nehemiah chapter 5. Then there arose a great cry of the people and of their wives against their brothers, the Jews. For there were some who said, We, our sons and our daughters, are many. Let us get grain that we may eat and live. There were also some who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards and our houses. Let us get grain because of the famine. There were also some who said, we've borrowed money from the king's tribute using our fields and our vineyards as collateral. Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, our children as their children. Behold, we bring our sons and our daughters into bondage to be servants, and some of our daughters have been brought into bondage. It is also not in our power to help it because other men have our fields and our vineyards. I was very angry when I heard their cry and these words. Then I consulted with myself and contended with the nobles and the rulers and said to them, You exact usury, every one of his brother. What's another word for usury? Um, interest, interest. They, they, they lend money and then they, they also ask for interest for lending that money to their brothers. I held a great assembly against them. I said to them, We, after our ability, have redeemed our brothers, the Jews that were sold to the nations, and would you even sell your brothers, should they be sold to us? Then they held their peace and found not a word to say. Also I said, the thing that you do is not good. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? I likewise, my brothers and my servants, lend them money and grain. Please let us stop this usury. Please restore to them even today their fields, their vineyards, their olive groves, and their houses, also the hundredth part of the money and of the grain, the new wine, and the oil that you're charging them. Then they said, We will restore them, and we will require nothing of them. We will do so, even as you say. Then I called the priests and took an oath of them that they should do according to this promise, also I shook out my lap and said, So may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor that doesn't perform this promise, even may he be shaken out and emptied like this. All the assembly said, Amen, and praised Yahweh. The people did according to this promise. Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year even to the 32nd year of Artaxerxes the king, that is 12 years, I and my brothers have not eaten the bread of the governor, but the former governors who were before me were supported by the people and took bread and wine from them, plus 40 shekels of silver. Yes, even their servants ruled over the people, but I did not do so because of the fear of God. Yes, I also continued in the work of this wall. We didn't buy any land. All my servants were gathered there to the work. Moreover, there... There were at my table of the Jews and the rulers 150 men in addition to those who came to us from among the nations that were around us. Now that which was prepared for one day was one ox and six choice sheep. Also fowls were prepared for me and once in ten days a store of all sorts of wine. Yet for all this I didn't demand the governor's pay because the bondage was heavy on this people. Remember me, my God, for good, all that I've done for this people. So here is this problem, internal problem of um, uh, people taking advantage <laughs> of their brothers. So there are rich uh, landowners who kind of like uh, were lending money to the poorer people. And there was a famine. There was a situation where they needed money. And so as collateral, they took their fields, you know, even took their sons and daughters as servants. And these were people from their own culture. And what's really sad was that, you know, um, he says, you know, they've redeemed them. 
from the nations, and then now they they are being sold to their own brothers. So they've they already been freed from being in bondage to other nations, but now you are are becoming their masters. And he's saying this is not right. You know, you you can't be doing this. This is almost very very cruel. Uh, what is encouraging is, you know, it takes almost no effort at all for them to realize that this is wrong. So it's not a case whereby Nehemiah is just going, just trying to find a way to just point out flaws. But he genuinely, genuinely wants to fix the situation, and he genuinely wants them to turn back. And this is almost like the best case scenario, where you recognize that a wrongdoing, a severe wrongdoing, a severe sin is happening. You point it out, but you call them to repentance, and they go, "Yes, you know, we realize that this is wrong." And so they just restore. They just give back the lands, and they just give back all the money. And they said, hey, "We won't ask for anything else." And it's almost the best best case scenario. And I say it's best case scenario because you're going. I mean, there you're going to find these situations in any situation of ministry. There's no such thing as you go into a church, you go into a ministry, and there aren't people who are going to do this. There, there are, and that that's the truth of the situation. I think. The only people who don't encounter this are people who are just blind or just don't want to deal with it. But really, this is the best case situation whereby you, at you as a godly leader, you know, God, in, very lovingly point out, you know, a wrong and injustice that's being done within your own community. This is not talking about you know outsiders, non-Christians within the within the church, and you say, hey, you know, there needs to be, recomp- there needs to be a, you know, you can't keep doing this. You know, please. And and he he does he does make them do an oath you know if you don't do this you know you'll be kicked out so he does he does say, okay it's not just it's just not not just talk yeah you have to take action so he's really serious about that and um, it's also no coincidence it has to do with money you know it has to do with you know a situation whereby some people just can't even feed themselves and some people have too much and it's kind of like profiteering off people's hardship and you know. Um, Actually, even now, you know, uh, the situation is such that there is going to be more imbalance. You know, we're going to we are seeing already people losing their jobs during COVID, people going through severe depression, but also there will be people who kind of like do well and who uh, almost and do well not on the backs of the suffering. You know, and there's something very wicked and very wrong and and re- please. You know, uh, if that opportunity ever comes around, you know, please resist it. And if it does happen, you know, it, you really, we really need to call people back to repentance and to kind of write that. It's so shameful if that happens even within the Christian community. Um, but uh, the great thing is that they do recognize it, they do confess it, and it is dealt with. And the rest of the story is Nehemiah himself trying to be consistent with this kind of policy. So he is the governor. He's essentially the most powerful person in the land. And he already gets paid by the king. But what he says is he doesn't take anything from the people. That's the point. He says usually the previous people were all paid, you know, given a stipend. They had to pay a tax to him. He didn't do that because he was there to do a job. The point was he was there to fix the wall. He didn't go there to be promoted from his position as a cupbearer. Therefore, he's going to be governor of Jerusalem. He's there because we are all in this together. We are meant to build this wall you know synonymous with not just building a church building but building the church people we're meant to encourage one another build them up and it says that means that i won't take from the people in fact he actually gave to the people so he had 150 men join him at at his table so he used whatever situation whatever expense he had uh, and it's worth recognizing as well. Nehemiah was still rich. He was still powerful it didn't mean that he became a poor person you know i read is it um there is a is it President of Uruguay became a very the poorest president in the world? Maybe I might did I get the country wrong or whatever? But that's that's not exactly the situation Nehemiah was in either. He was still governor. He was still able to you know feed very very well this nice food, but he used it to bless as many people as possible. And I think this similar situation with all these relatively wealthy uh, believers as well it didn't mean that they therefore you know became poor overnight, but it just meant that they didn't take advantage. Of their poorer brothers, they didn't take advantage of them as you know. That, that was just that was just mean. That was really really cruel. And I think there's just so much common sense. There's so much grace. There's so much um, consistency in applying that justice to their own brothers and to himself that you see in Nehemiah. You know, Nehemiah in many cases is just a very very level-headed civil servant 
who prays and who does practical things. And um, it's, I think it's not too much, not too much to expect, you know, Christians who do have responsibility, whether in the church, you know, whether in government, whether in companies to, you know, just, just take practical action consistent with uh, what they see their relationship with God calls them to do, you know, to be just, you know, to be merciful and to call others to do the same. Okay, so that's our third passage, Nehemiah chapter 5. Is there anything else I should say about this? Um, um, yeah, I think, I think the thing that really strikes me is, again, this great cry of, of the people against their brothers of the Jews. And um, we don't, I mean, have, do we see that happening? I mean, we, we hear lots of great cries against outsiders, you know, against the government, against, you know, other nations that kind of oppressing us as Christians. But within the church, you know, within believers, um, if as leaders we don't recognize this, we turn a blind eye to this, I think we lose that credibility then. I think... Um, uh, a good example would be, um, again, BLM, Black Lives Matter, again, and not just uh, that, you know, other racial issues within the church. I think, you know, I, I, I don't think I'm wrong in saying this. I think that was such a big deal over the last year. And suddenly now, like, nothing. <laughs> maybe because there are other pressing matters, maybe. But I hope, I hope it's not because we are just turning a blind eye to that. If it is happening, I think, um, how sad would it be if the leaders themselves try not to deal with it? Nehemiah, obviously, you know, head on, yeah, yeah. And I think you you would just you would just be more respected if you did that. You know, those are hard. I think in many ways, being a leader and exercising justice amongst your own people is a much harder thing. And to exercise it outside of the church, write letters and you know, <laughs> stand outside by the street and go and call out, you know, repentant, repentant. But actually, within within your own people, and to see and acknowledge it and say, okay, right, we need to fix this. Um, I think that is a much harder thing. And do pray for your leaders if that really is the situation in your own church. It is. It is not easy, because, <laughs> yeah, um, you know, you do it wrongly, the church will split. But uh, if you do it in a godly way, you know, the best case scenario is people are willing to repent. They're willing to right the wrong. And it means the church comes together and they're able to heal together. Last, uh, last, last passage, Acts chapter 15. Some brothers came down from Judea and taught the brothers, unless you're circumcised after the custom of Moses, you can't be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small accord and discussion with them, they appointed Paul and Barnabas with some others of them to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. They, being sent on their way by the assembly, passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles. They caused great joy to all the brothers. When they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the assembly and the apostles and the elders and they reported everything that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up, saying it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to see about this matter. When there had been much discussion, Peter rose up and said to them, Brothers, you know that a good while ago God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the nations should hear the word of the good news and believe. God, who knows the heart, testified about them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just like he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you tempt God that you should put a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they are. Very good. Good, good speech by Peter. 
all the multitude kept silence and they listened to Barnabas and Paul reporting what signs and wonders God had done among the nations through them. After they were silent, James answered, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has reported how God first visited the nations to take out of them a people for his name. This agrees with the words of the prophets, as it is written, After these things I will return, I will again build the tabernacle of David which has fallen. I will again build its ruins, I will set it up. The rest of men may seek after the Lord, all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does all these things. All of God's works are known to him from eternity. Therefore, my judgment is that we don't trouble those from among the Gentiles who turn to God, but that we write to them, that they abstain from the pollution of idols, from sexual immorality, from what is strangled, and from blood. For Moses, from generations of old, has in every city those who preach him, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole assembly to choose men out of their company and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas called Barsabbas, and Silas, chief men among the brothers. They wrote these things by their hand, the apostles, the elders, and the brothers, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. Greetings! Because we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words unsettling your soul, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no commandment, it seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose out of men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent, therefore, Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden on you than these necessary things, that you abstain from things sacrificed to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality, from which if you keep yourselves, it will be well with you. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they came to Antioch, having gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced over the encouragement. Judas and Silas, also being prophets themselves, encouraged the brothers with many words and strengthened them. After they had spent some time there, they were dismissed in peace from the brothers to the apostles. But Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's return now and visit our brothers in every city, city in which we proclaimed the word of the Lord to see how they are doing. Barnabas planned to take John, who was called Mark, with them also. But Paul didn't think it was a good idea to take with them someone who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and didn't go with them to do the work. Then the contention grew so sharp that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and went out, being commended by the brothers to the grace of God. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the assemblies. Okay, so very similar lines. Uh, this is within the church that there is this now this fracture because lots of Gentiles are now becoming Christians. All these outsiders, people who are non-Jewish Jewish people, who are now becoming Christians. And therefore, the Jewish believers, people who had you know, trusted in God, had the Old Testament, who knew God for hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years, they, say they, they came all the way to Antioch and said to them, unless you are circumcised, you cannot be saved. And here they are saying that you need to be like us in order to become one of us, culturally, traditionally. It's almost like saying, in order to become a Christian, you need to speak English. In order to, speak, in order to become a Christian, you need to read this particular version of the Bible, or you need to dress a certain way, you need to eat certain kinds of food, that kind of thing. It's talking about cultural, traditional requirements for you to be spiritually a Christian. So customs of Moses, our customs, our traditions. And so Paul and Barnabas had no small discord, meaning they argued with them. I think um, the person, they're, 
I don't know whether it's、um, an expression or whatever, but it's saying that they were really, really upset. And so the church、uh, appointed these two upset people <laughs> to go down to Jerusalem to kind of sort things out with、uh, the apostles. And so they go there, but along their way, they, they encourage other people. You know, they take every opportunity, they stop along the way through Phoenicia and Samaria, and, and they essentially say, hey, do you know what's happening outside of your country? Other people. Are becoming Christians as well. And you know, they're really happy with it. Generally, it, it's saying that you know, people don't have problems with、uh, non Christians becoming Christians, with non well,、um, non Jewish people becoming Christians. And, but when they got to Jerusalem, it seemed that they were on the track record. You know, they were received with joy, you know, received by the elders. But in Jerusalem itself, they got the same response they must be circumcised. And here they add to keep the command of Moses. So, aha.、Uh-huh. So, it's not just this one thing, but this one thing, which is symbolic of everything circumcised.、Um, I'm not going to say what it is. Please Google it if you don't know what circumcision is. It's a very painful <laughs> mark of being Jewish for males,、uh, but circumcised. But therefore, they also say keep the law of Moses. So, keep this law because they want you to keep all the laws. So, don't eat certain foods, don't do this. So, therefore, you know,、um, keep all these traditions. And it's significant that these were people who were Pharisees who had become Christians. So, they confessed Jesus as Christ, but they had grown up their whole lives following these traditions. And probably they were still following these traditions in Jerusalem because everyone there was Jew. But here they're talking about people who were non Jerusalem, who'd never been to church before, saying that you have to sing this particular hymn, for instance, or you have to dress this particular way, and you have to use only a particular language to sing these songs, that kind of thing. And so they're saying these traditional、uh, norms that were abnormal for these non Jewish believers. So, The rest, the rest of the paragraphs, long discussion, long discussion, it shows that it's not clear cut. It was really, really hard.、Um, so Peter stands up first and he recounts the, the, the I think it was, is it chapter, chapter 10? I think, I think chapter 10. Yeah, the events of chapter 10 and 11, where Peter meets this Gentile person and then Cornelius receives the Holy Spirit. And he says that we should not discriminate them. He made no distinction or discrimination between us and them. He gave them the same, the, the, the same, sorry,、uh, is, that, is that Peter?、Uh, Peter, yes, yes, that is what Peter says. God has given them the same Holy Spirit just like us. He made those distinctions between us and them. So, in other words, God did this. It's not Paul's idea, it's not some new scheme to enlarge the church. It was God's idea all the while. To bring in these outsiders into his kingdom. And he keeps saying this just like us, just like us, just like, they, just like them, just like them. So he's saying, we are the same, you know, in, a, in the same way that we, des- we need grace and forgiveness, they need grace and forgiveness. And in the same way that we can't fulfill the, the law, how can we expect them to? And so it's a bit of hypocrisy to expect them to fulfill all these laws and traditions which. We have had for hundreds of years, we couldn't fulfill them either. Why are we asking them to do this thing? It's almost so silly.、Um, and then, with Barnabas and Paul, you know, they talk about everything that they had done and all these signs and wonders. And it's talking about not just the, but it's talking about the last missionary journey that they did, that they actually went around. And there were lots of responses, genuine responses, that shows that God really was reaching out with the gospel to the Gentiles. And finally, after that, James. And, and James here is James, the brother of Jesus, who is at this point, he seems to be like the leader of the Jerusalem church. That's why he speaks last. And what he does is so significant. He, he points to scripture. He says, This agrees with the words of the prophets. And so Peter says, from his experiences, God's,、uh, God's idea. Paul and Barnabas say this is from experience of church planting that God is indeed drawing the Gentiles to himself. James looks at scripture, says, This is what agrees with what has been done in the Old Testament. God has always wanted to bring in the Gentiles into his kingdom. You know, all the Gentiles who are called by my name. So he makes the final decision that they should not trouble them. 
who are Gentiles. Don't put this restraint on them, this overly difficult requirement for them to become Christians. But he does add these requests, these four requests. You know, don't eat food that have been polluted with idols from sexual immorality, uh, food that, that has been strangled and that has blood. So these four requirements and go and you might be wondering why does he do this why does he ask them to do these strange things is it because they are custom customs uh, of jewish customs that's why you say they shouldn't be bogged down with these customs and he says it's because for verse 21 for moses has been preaching all these cities and he's essentially saying because there are jews who will be affected by this so he's he's very realistic he says People are always going to have a problem with this. You know, they, they're going to. Ha it's going to be a big stumbling block for these Jews who have been following these their, these laws. Then, since Moses has been preached, it's the laws of Moses, and so they're going to see some something that's just so difficult for them to accept. And he essentially what he's saying is, please be loving to these guys who have weaker consciences than you. You know who can't who can't be eating. It says essentially you could eat them, but for the sake of these brothers, please be loving towards them. And um, I know I know some people disagree with that. Some people think that this is still um, applicable today. Definitely the sexual immorality. Definitely yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that's one of the strongest cases actually because sexual immorality is just plain wrong. And that's why it's not a custom thing. It's a wrong thing. But uh, some Christians, therefore, uh, I really understand that they don't eat food with blood. Therefore, their steaks must be well done. Uh, but I think uh, this really is for the sake of the consciences of the Jewish people. And it's because of verse 21, James himself says this. Uh, if you want to read more about this, if I'm not mistaken, I think John Stott's Bible Speaks Today commentary on Acts does say the same thing. I remember having this same discussion 20 years ago with a very, very godly Christian. And uh, we both went to John Stott. This person rec uh, respected John Stott, but in the end disagreed with him anyway. But, you know, um, read, I mean, I mean re read for yourself. Yeah. And so the rest just traces out the practical implementation of this. They sent a letter. They also sent two other guys, uh, Judas and Silas, and essentially to hand over this message for Judas and uh, for Judas and Silas as well to be like representatives from Jerusalem say that we are really behind us and to say as well you know there are these other brothers who came to trouble you they were not from us we are this these guys are from us and so you should don't listen to this those guys listen to these guys that kind of thing and in the end actually Silas becomes an accompaniment to to Paul when he goes on this journey but it ends in a slightly a uh, sad way because Paul and Barnabas, you know, they want to go on this mission. They want to encourage all these churches they planted before, but then they split apart because they couldn't agree over this guy named John Mark, who apparently left them in one of the cities, Pamphylia. And so Paul said, no, we can't trust this guy. We can't bring him along. But Barnabas says, no, give him a chance. Barnabas is perpetually the second chance guy. He did it with Paul so many times. So Barnabas says, no, I want to take him. And so as a result, they disagree and they go in two different directions. But it results in, you know, more gospel, more work, you know, more evangelism. And, you know, God can use those kind of situations as well. It shows that, you know, even amongst very godly people, godly leaders, these kind of things can happen. And God can use that for the good of the gospel. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, so that's Acts chapter 15. And those are our four passages for today. What do you think? Um a lot of very realistic uh, pictures of, you know, strife and disagreements in the church here. Actually, yeah, there's a theme running along all these passages, you know, with Sarai and Hagar, with, uh, with the Pharisees and the disciples, um, with uh, here within, you know, the rich and the poor Jews, and here with the Jews and the Gentiles. You know, it's, it's saying, you know, if you're maybe in your church, you have this kind of situation, don't be surprised. God, you know, God can use those situations for good if you're a leader uh, maybe not to ignore it uh, but also to be encouraged that you know genuine repentance can happen you know god can bring people even closer together as a result of this can strengthen the church make the gospel go even further um, don't and not to be discouraged by that you know uh, in ex from experience um, you know pastors leaders 
are more tired out, more stressed out by these kind of internal problems than they are of any kind of external situation, how bad is, as it is. Uh, and I think that's something to recognize in these COVID situations. That I think the points of stress are a lot of them are internal. I think some of them might be that you know people have very high expectations of leaders, especially in these times, and they're just human, or that they you know they want to people start comparing you know one another, or that um, I don't know uh, maybe you know there, there's more injustice that's happening within the church itself. I don't know if that's if that's so, and if it is, just how sad it is. It really shouldn't happen, but you know in Nehemiah it does, and those kind of things require uh, a lot of wisdom a lot of practical prayer points but also just reconciliation lots of time and a trust in god that he really is not caught out by surprise when these things do happen he can use them for his glory um yeah i'm pretty sure i've gone over an hour today um but yeah uh, anyway uh, that's today's reading from the daily bible reading show thank you so much for joining me uh see you tomorrow uh, we'll start early uh, and if any of you have any ideas for Chinese New Year, what can we do? Um, yeah, uh, I, I have a few talks already lined up for that. And I always want to do something to you know, get everyone in the mood. Maybe you can start early since you know all these ads are already out for Chinese New Year. You can do some food, some music, some, um, some traditional things. It'll be really, really fun. <coughs> yeah. Uh, also, again, chi uh, leading worship this Sunday at the Chinese Church. Uh, I'll show you in another stream uh, what I've done to prepare for that. Uh, um, I'm trying to do the slides um, and do the lead the worship the way that I'm doing this stream now. So to have on one side, like on this side, the, the words. But it's kind of tricky because you don't want to put too many of the words on the screen at a go. But if you have to change slides as you're playing, you know, there's a trick to it. You have to be able to change change the screen and then go back to the keyboard and then sing and lead. So it's um, there are some practical things that I found that have helped in terms of how do you choose your songs, um, just um, how much practice to put into it. I think that's really important, and also just being realistic as to what kind of songs and what kind of things to you can do and can't do during these kind of like Zoom worship uh, song leading sessions. Okay, all right, let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that it's the weekend. Thank you so much that you bring us through the week, you know, to be able to recognize your grace uh, through our work, through high times and low times. But in the end of it, we look back and we see it's all by your grace. Uh, Lord, we give you thanks uh, for this week so far, for the people especially whom you've blessed us with. Uh, please, would you help us to grow closer and not further apart? Uh, help us to make the most of this coming weekend. Help us not to waste it. Help us to use it in such a way that really honors you and really builds uh, one another up, uh, especially those of us who are serving on Sunday. Uh, please bless the pastors who are preparing the messages. Bless the people who are leading, people doing all the technical bits. Uh, and please bring people together to hear a word, to be encouraged by it, and to be built up by it. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Goodbye. See you tomorrow.